Our reading this morning is from Colossians chapter 1 and the first 14 verses, the beginning of our new study series. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all his people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true word of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as uh, David and Ed mentioned, we are starting a new sermon series today at Christchurch. So hopefully on the way in, you'll all have picked up one of these. Um, this is the new term card for this, um, for this term. Um, so later on in the term through Lent, we're going to be looking at um, a series called On Your Marks, looking at the Church of England's five marks of mission. That's asking what it means to live as a missional people and as a missional church. But in preparation for that, first of all, um, we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians and we've called this series Christ over all and I'll say a little bit more about that and why that is later on but just bear that in mind this is a series on Colossians but actually it's a series about Jesus is what we're doing (laughs) Um, but before we dive in um, yeah don't forget scripture journals if you've got picked one of these up already you might want to grab that now and a pen if you miss them there's some more I think on the table at the back these might be um, a good friend to you over the next few weeks as we study Colossians together at church and as you read hopefully read at home and and dive in yourself at home Um, so as uh, Ed said there's space in here to make notes um, either from sermons or from your own reading as well so do grab one of those and um, as a bonus you get Philemon 
on for free. Ooh. So don't say we never give you anything. It's only like one chapter or something, isn't it, Philemon? But you know, we won't go into that. Um, Philemon was a, a citizen of Colossae, which I think is why they've put the two of them together. Helps to shed a little bit more um, light on what's going on um, there. But today we're kicking off with Colossians chapter 1, um, verse 1 to 14. So I thought what might be helpful was for us to set the scene so that as we read Colossians over the coming weeks, we know what the situation is, we know what we're reading into. So the city of Colossae, where the Colossians lived, was, as um, I'm hoping you might be able to see from these maps, um, in the southwest corner of Asia Minor. So that's modern-day Turkey. Um, So you can see I put it in a red box. That's the sort of the bigger map. That's Italy over in the green to give you a sense of where things are. And then this one's a slightly more zoomed-in version where you can see some of the other um, key towns and cities. And it's about 100 miles or so from um, Ephesus um, to, to, whom they, to where the letter to the Ephesians was sent. And a couple of hundred years before the time of Paul, um, Colossae had been a really sort of leading city in Asia Minor. So it sat on a major trade route, so obviously lots of people passed by. That meant that it was a very diverse city. Um, it was a very lively city, probably relatively wealthy as well. Um, they produced um, a, a special sort of red woolen cloth, which, it was, which Colossae was famous for. But by the first century, all that had changed. So new trade routes had popped up. Um, other cities had formed which were providing competition and there were a couple of earthquakes too which had caused quite a bit of damage and so took quite a lot of resources to um, recover from. And so this once significant city has kind of become a bit of a second-rate market town. When I was thinking about this I was imagining you know sort of there's lots of them, aren't there, scattered across the northwest in particular. Those old industrial cities, which were once thriving and lively and the heart of industry and commerce, but actually now are full of kind of boarded-up shops and um, houses that need a bit of sprucing up, of um, factories which have been closed down. I wonder if Colossae was a bit like the um, first-century equivalent of that. In fact, one Bible commentator says that Colossae was the least important city to which Paul ever wrote a letter. But he did, and his letter to them, as we just heard, opens with this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So Paul's following the normal convention of the day and the normal convention of most of his letters, which is rather than starting a letter with Dear Mildred or whoever it's being written to, um, he begins by saying who the letter's from. So it's obviously from him, Paul, but it's also from Timothy. That's slightly confusing because most of the book talks in the first person, I, 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 rather than we. Um, So what lots of people think happens is probably that... um, Paul wrote the letter, um, but Timothy maybe was like his secretary or his scribe. Um, So maybe Paul told him word for word what to write, or maybe um, Timothy kind of drafted the letter. And then in the final, very final verse of the book of the letter, we see that Paul signs it off um, with his own hand. So, but what's key is that in all of this, Paul makes sure that the Colossians know that this isn't just a letter from him written on his own authority but that he's writing under the authority of God as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so presumably that means his message is worth listening to. And he does that as an apostle 
who is suffering for Jesus Christ. Because the letter to the Colossians was uh, written during one of Paul's stints in prison, um, where he'd ended up pronouncing Jesus as the risen Lord, possibly around um, the year 62, um, probably a similar time to when Philemon was written and also when the letter to the Ephesians was written. But what becomes apparent as we read Colossians is that unlike the Christians in Ephesus, Paul had never met the Christians in Colossae. The church there had been started, as we heard this morning, by his co-worker Epaphras, who Paul calls his fellow servant and faithful minister of Christ. And what we think probably happened was that um, Epaphras travelled to Ephesus, which you can see a little bit further towards the coast. Hold on, never eat shredded to the west. <laughs> um, and that, he'd, uh, that Epaphras had travelled to Ephesus, had heard Paul preaching and teaching the gospel there, and from a Gentile background, had himself come to faith in the living God, the God of Jesus Christ. He then headed home, took the gospel with him, preached the gospel there to the people of Colossae, and more and more people, Gentiles in particular, came to believe, and the Colossian church was born. And now it seems that what has happened is that Epaphras has gone to see Paul again, but this time he's visiting him in prison, and he's been filling him in on how the Christians in Colossae are doing. So in uh, chapter 4, verse 12, Paul sends greetings from Epaphras back to the church in Colossae, so Epaphras must be with him at the time it's being written. And in the first half of chapter 1, which we've read today, we get an insight into what Epaphras must have said to Paul. And it seems his report about the Colossians is overwhelmingly positive. And that's reflected in two prayers that Paul prays for the Colossians. First, a prayer of thanksgiving, and then secondly, a prayer for what lies ahead. So this is the first prayer. We're in verse 3, if you're reading along. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. The Colossians, it seems, aren't a people who've just chosen to believe in their head, but theirs is a faith which reaches all the way down, right to their hearts. And it's expressed, it says, in the love that they have for all of God's people. I don't know if you spotted those three words which often appear together in the New Testament, faith, hope, and love. Faith and love, which spring from the hope they have in God. That was the story of the church in Colossae. And Paul is full of thanksgiving for the Colossians and their faith. And he wasn't just being polite, because we know from Paul's other letters that he's not always polite, is he? Um, he's not, he's a few, but he's effusive with praise for them. But then he continues with this second prayer in verse 9. Since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. 
What a fantastic prayer that is to pray for any of our Christian brothers and sisters, isn't it? But what will become apparent as we read through Colossians over the coming weeks is that this prayer actually was spoken into a very particular situation. It seems that some of the Colossian Christians were being tempted away from following Jesus. They were being tempted by what Paul calls in chapter 2, hollow and deceptive philosophy. I'm not going to talk about that in detail today, partly because it would take a while, but mostly because it's really complicated and confusing. So I'm going to make David do that in a few weeks' time instead. Um, But it's clear that despite the Colossians' strong start and the faith which is evident, not just in what they say they believe, but in how they live, there remained threats and there remained temptations which might just lead them astray. It would have been easy for the Colossians to think that they could rest on their laurels and stop paying attention, stop learning and growing in faith and knowledge. But Paul's prayer is a prayer that they won't do that. I know I need you guys to be praying that prayer for me if I'm not to do that too. And I suspect a lot of you think, I need you all to be praying that for me as well. It's easy, isn't it, to rest on your laurels when you think you're doing pretty well as a Christian. When your faith is relatively strong, a significant part of your life. But sometimes something comes up, and it happens to all of us. Something comes up that just seems a little bit more attractive or appealing, or perhaps just a little bit easier. And it's sad, but it's also amazing how quickly we can forget the difference that Jesus makes in our lives and has made in our lives and makes in the world too. Sometimes maybe it's something very particular and very dramatic, but other times perhaps it's something gradual, drip by drip, something leading us away. And before we know it, we realise that our Bibles are spending more and more time on the bookshelf and less and less time in our hands. Or we realise that we're in church less and less often. Or that prayers become something we squeeze in for 30 seconds at the end of the day when we realise we've not prayed all day. We saw in that first prayer that Paul was full of genuine praise and thanksgiving for the Colossians. But he knows, as we see in that second prayer, that they still need his prayers if they're to continue bearing fruit, if they're to continue growing in knowledge of God, and if they're to continue to have the strength to remain patient and endure to the end, despite all the temptations in the world around them. But at the root of Paul's prayer for the Colossians is not praise for the Colossians doing a great job for being top-notch, top-of-the-range Christians. It's not even concern that the path that they could end up going down um, would be the wrong path. At the root of Paul's prayer for the Colossians is praise for Jesus and a concern to see Jesus glorified. Jesus, who Paul says in verse 13, has rescued him and has rescued the Colossians and rescues us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. At the core of the church in Colossae is not the impressive faith of the Colossians, or their knowledge, or even their love for one another, impressed though Paul seems to be by those things. At the core of the Colossian church is Jesus Christ, the rescuer, the source of hope, the content of the gospel. I said earlier on that I'd mention a little bit more about why we've called this sermon series on Colossians Christ overall. 
And the reason for that title is that throughout Colossians, we are reminded over and over and over again of the supremacy and the centrality of Christ in all things. We've already seen that, hinted at a little bit, and we're going to see it more and more and more as the weeks go on over the next seven weeks. Colossians has been called one of the most Christ-centered books in the whole Bible, and I think as we read it, we'll see that that is true. And so my hope and my prayer as we study Colossians together, and I hope you'll make it your hope and your prayer too, is that we won't just come to learn a little bit more about Colossae or a bit more about Paul, that we won't feeling, fe- leave feeling good about ourselves because we've learned something new and it's been educational and interesting, but that actually through looking at Colossians together, we'll come to know Jesus better that we might see Jesus in a fresh light, that we might be challenged, maybe even made to feel just a little bit uncomfortable about those areas in our lives where Jesus isn't central and where Jesus isn't Lord. My prayer is that we might be encouraged to turn back to Jesus when we've sensed temptations are just starting to pull us away. My prayer is that we might be reminded of, or maybe come to experience for the very first time, the new liberating way of life that is opened up for us through Jesus' life and his death and resurrection. Because he is Christ over all, isn't he? So there's no part of our life or our faith or our relationships or our politics or our time or our priorities over which he shouldn't be Lord. There's no part of existence which is untouched by his loving and liberating rule. There's no part of the whole of all creation which won't one day bow the knee and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I hope and pray, and I trust that you'll join me in hoping and praying, that over the next seven weeks looking at Colossians, we'll come to a new and a fresh understanding of what it means for us and for the world that Jesus is Christ over all. But just before I finish today, those of you who are in the building should have been given a little scrap of paper like this. I'm sorry that they're rubbish and very poorly cut up. I've learned to do many things in life, but um, using a paper cutter guillotine is still not in my skill set. <laughs> if someone wants to give me a lesson sometime, that'd be great. But hopefully you should all have a little piece of paper. If you've not, um, there are probably some more at the back, but there's also, um, for people watching at home, we've popped it up on the screen. And on there, you'll find two sections to complete, which are inspired by that twofold prayer of Paul for the Colossians. To help us think a little bit about what Paul, if he were writing a letter to us today in Newtown, as Christchurch, what Paul would say to us. What would he be giving thanks for in the life of this community? What would he be full of praise and admiration for? What would he say, wow, that is really good, first of all? And then secondly, what would he be praying for us? What would he recognize as the challenges or temptations that threaten to lead or draw or just maybe slightly nudge us away from following Jesus with all that we have and all that we are? For the Colossians, that was those hollow and deceptive philosophies, but for us, it could be all sorts of different things. So it'd be great if you would fill that in. You might want to do that in the next song um, when Al and Lydia are playing, or you might want to take it away and reflect on it this week. 
But I wonder, can I ask you, would you commit for the next seven weeks to praying those prayers for Christchurch? Commit every day to praying that prayer for Christchurch, giving thanks to God the Father for all that is good and praying for what lies ahead. Take that piece of paper home with you. Um, If you want to, and this will be great, you don't have to do this, but if you wanted to fill it in and then take a photo of it and send it to me or to Karis, actually it would be great to see what different people are going to be praying for Christchurch over the next couple of months. And who knows what might happen if each one of us is praying that Christ's rule and Christ's reign in our own lives and in the lives of this church will grow and grow and grow over the next seven weeks. Amen.